The following episode contains sexual descriptions and reference to violence, murder, and sexual assault, and may not be suitable for certain audiences. It's been three nights now. Just as you are about to doze off, your child howls out in the hot night. And every time you come into their room to turn on the light, there's nothing there. The first few times, you figured it was just the monster under the bed, fear of the dark, just his overactive imagination. But last night, you played along, peeking in the closet under the bed just to humor him, and maybe to ease his childish fears. See, nothing there, and nothing under here either. But as you lifted yourself up from the kneeling at the end of the bed, something caught your eye. Red. Red blood on the edge of the sheet. Not much, just a few speckles, but alarming nonetheless. Instantly, your tired annoyance changed to genuine alarm. Lifting the sheet, the soles of your son's feet had a handful of still open cuts. He made it onto the bed, Mommy. He bit my feet. I think he wanted to eat me. The wheels in your head calmed down as you examined the cuts. It could be mosquito bites that he scratched, or bed bugs, or both. Your son's toenails needed cutting. Uh, He could have also scratched himself in his anxious state. After treating the cuts and applying a few band-aids, you assured your boy everything was all right and let him keep the light on. After an hour, he was asleep, and you put the lights out. But tonight the screams were different. They were screams of agony, screams of severe pain, not just fear. Running to his room and flicking on the light, the sight before your eyes was more gruesome than you were prepared for and hardly enough to understand. No bed bugs, no mosquitoes, but right in front of you, the covers torn to shreds, your son's legs burst into deep gashes on their own, and the wet sound of bones crunching filled the blood-scented air. Get him off of me! Get him off of me, Mommy! Can't you see him? Can't you see him? What invisible horror devours your child before your very eyes? What does he see that you can't? Find out on today's episode of Monsters in My Podcast. Welcome to Monsters in My Podcast, Episode 7, The Tokolosh, Terror of South Africa. I'm Sean McGee, and I'll be guiding you through the rumors, legends, and histories of everything monstrous from all the world over, through all time and story origin. Each episode, I'll be doing a deep-dive look at one specific monster, mythical beast, or fantastic being, exploring not just anecdotal encounters with them, or the stories from which they spring, but also their cultural, psychological, and societal contexts. And as always, the evolution of how a monster develops through storytelling and popular culture. This month's monster is sometimes mischievous, sometimes vicious, often sexually aggressive, and wildly problematic, the Tokolosh. There are many ways to say this creature's name, from Tikolosh to Tokoloshi, 
to tokoloche, but for the purposes of this episode, we'll stick to the more common tokoloche. Hailing from South Africa, uh, mostly Zulu traditional beliefs, the tokoloche is truly the stuff of nightmares. Like almost everything with this South African monster, its appearance is amorphous and mutable. In fact, the word tokoloche can be used to describe anything macabre or paranormal, a ghost, a curse, even a feeling of general dread. Still, some commonalities occur throughout descriptions. The most common detail is its diminutive stature. The tokoloche is short like a dwarf or a goblin, never more than about three feet tall. But it is certainly not diminutive all over. Okay, let's get the giggles out of the way up top. The Tokoloche may be a short fellow, but he is rather well endowed elsewhere, with many descriptions of his rather disproportionately large genitals. Eggplant emoji if you catch my drift. This not-so-little detail may be a result of the sensationalized news coverage of Tokoloche sightings, or, on a darker note, tied to the nature of real-life assaults attributed to this creature. We will get into this heavier issue a little later, And like the warning at the top of the show, I cannot stress this enough. It will get a lot worse than some penis jokes. Listener discretion is seriously advised. Coming back to the physical description of the Tokoloche, though, some of the more notable details are uh, indications not just of his physical form, but also of the nature of how a Tokoloche is created in the first place. That's right, created. They may be missing eyes or have them sewn shut and commonly possess a large hole in the center top of their skulls. A dark indentation, or sometimes with the skin around it clearly burned like a brand. How did the Tokoloche get such a mark? Like its physical appearance, ideas of how the Tokoloche comes into existence vary. Sometimes, like other cryptids, They are thought to simply exist in the natural world, out in the wild, but most accounts are that the Tokoloche must be created by an evil shaman, Sangoma, or witch doctor. In fact, this may be a bit muddled, as traditional Sangoma of South Africa are healers and are actually the ones who would turn, that you would turn to, to rid oneself of the Tokoloche as opposed to hiring one. But as with many spiritual traditions, there is a dark path, a yin to the yang of it, and those who practice these dark arts can create curses for a price. The tokolos just happens to be one of the more visceral and tangible, even living, forms of a curse. A a curse in the form of a living being. Like the golem of Jewish folklore, uh, which I plan to dedicate a future episode to, the tokolos is non-living matter made living. But unlike the golem, which is usually created from earthen matter like mud or stone, and much more like the Haitian zombie, in that the inanimate matter is a dead human body that was once alive. There are many variations on the creation process, but the most common elements are that a person seeking vengeance seeks out one of these wicked practitioners of the dark arts with a target in mind. The witch doctor must then acquire a dead body to be possessed, uh, or in some cases, the client is tasked with providing one, further complicating the dark deed. Either way, utilizing witchcraft and secret rites, the dead body takes on an evil spirit, withering to the dwarf-like stature in the process. In order to maintain control over it, the witch doctor must pierce the corpse's eye 
eyes, and skull with a hot iron rod. This eliminates the tokolosha's free will and ensures that it will follow the instructions and orders of its master. In some variations of the process, a particularly wicked bargain must be struck with the tokolosh. In order for the creature to terrorize the target, the jealous or vengeful person desires, the soul of a loved one must be promised to the tokolosh. So after whatever horrors are visited upon the purchaser's enemy, in time the tokolosh will then visit and devour the soul of a loved one. The even more horrible catch is that the client cannot even choose which loved one the tokolosh will take. So until it happens, they lie in wait about who it's going to be. This is the only area in which the tokolosh seems to have a will of its own. Woe be to you if you found yourself the target of a tokolosh. And as you can see from this wicked bargain, making enemies can make you a target. But even the innocent may be visited by the risen if they are the loved one of someone who took out the hit. This risen, withered, and mutilated corpse demon attacks most often in the night. They can make themselves invisible by swallowing a small stone or, according to some legends, simply by drinking water. When they attack at night, they usually do so while they're sleeping, while someone is sleeping in their own bed. And what can one do to stay out of the reach of the tokolosh? Well, one method is to do literally just that. Stay out of reach. When rumors of a tokolosh are spreading, it is said that elevating one's bed with bricks or cinder blocks may keep your vulnerable dangling toes and legs out of reach of the nighttime attacker. This has led to some speculation that this preventative measure developed because people sleeping on mats in traditional rondevals, uh, traditional circular houses, who kept a fire going at night, were dying in their sleep from carbon monoxide poisoning, and that the elevated beds moved the sleeper to less poisonous air. Uh, but this is both anecdotal and scientifically contested. In the realm of medicine magic, there is also the precaution of finding and destroying any totems or witch bottles in and around your house if you believe you have been targeted. This is a common way to root out and stop any curse and is common across many cultures around the world, but it's not agreed upon in Zulu or Zosa mag magic that these methods would actually hold off a tokolosh. Either way, a tokolosh is not something you want to visit you, and not just because they may nibble your toes. No, the tokolosh's transgressions are, at times, much more brutal. From minor mischief to biting, to gnawing on dangling limbs, to murder and even rape. The tokolosh is a menace. Unfortunately, the tokolosh has, in recent times, served as a scapegoat for real-life crimes committed by real-life people. We'll explore the problematic real-life encounters with this lascivious and violent monster after the break. Today's episode is brought to you by Dare Danger Dan. Would you like to see the characters from ElfQuest meet Maniac Mansion? A Simpsons-Mario Brothers mashup? Tigger Kong versus Poozilla? How about Bottles of Squeezits versus Zima in a battle of crossfire? The Kool-Aid Man busting out of Baba Yaga's chicken leg house? A monster bar with monster bartenders and monster patrons? That's a lot of monsters. 
If any of these spooky or strange scenarios intrigue you, or if you have some monstrous dares of your own, then check out Dare Danger Dan, the weekly live art show where you can suggest topics and situations for the incredibly talented Danger Dan to draw on the spot. Catch him live weekly and pitch an idea on twitch.tv backslash dare danger dan or watch previous episodes on youtube at d studios and on instagram at i am danger dan now back to the tokolosh before delving into the more difficult aspects of the tokolosh I'd like to examine the unique blend of monster archetypes that make up this creature. The Tokolosh is kind of the perfect blend of monsters for this podcast. Um, It's kind of everything we're interested in. At once, both a folkloric figure having roots in the local spirituality uh, and medicine practices of the Zulu and Joza peoples, uh, and also a modern cryptid with documented sightings by sworn witnesses. The Tokolosh exists in both the realm of traditional storytelling and real-life encounters. The realms of cryptozoology and mythical beasts don't that often overlap, surprisingly, in that there's little literature or folkloric tradition to the likes of Bigfoot, Nessie, or the Mothman, while there are also very few people claiming to see a sphinx, uh, the world serpent, or a manticore nowadays. The life of a monster quite often seems uh, separated into early stages as a cryptid with locals who truly believe in its existence uh, and then evolving into a to the mythic status where uh, though more widely recognized are generally assumed to be fiction or at least a part of uh, a religious mythology but with contemporary indigenous spiritual systems or at least those that survive colonialism the fantastic and the experience can still be one and the same we've seen this with the wendigo amongst uh, north American First Peoples, but I would also argue that the likes of Kuchisake Ona of Japan or the Slender Man of the internet have shown potential, uh, the potential of modern monsters to straddle the realms of the real and the unreal as well. The Tokolosh in particular straddles the world of fantasy and reality in a very notable way. It is a survivor of colonialism. The very recent colonialism of first the Dutch and then, most prominently, the English in South Africa. A victim of prioritizing Western so-called rationalism uh, and even Western Christian mythos over the spiritual beliefs of indigenous Africans. And nowhere is this more evident in the uh, newspapers and news coverage in South Africa, the vastly different stories and tones about Tokolosha tales from predominantly white news organizations on one side to mostly black papers, working class papers, like the Daily Sun. In fact, the ways in which the Tokolosh has been reported in South African journalism sheds light on the precarious cultural limbo of post-apartheid. From the Zoza, the Zulu have learned to believe in Utikolosh, a wicked little dwarf who lives in deep pools or in the reeds. He is a short and hairy fellow and very fond of women. At night, he lets out the cows and steals their milk, and he's often guilty of cohabitating with women, writes Eileen Krig, a prominent South African anthropologist, notably vocal against apartheid policies of racial segregation. Uh, She wrote this in 1936. 
In the same year, Monica Wilson's Reaction to Conquest, a study of Pondo Zosa life in a time of change, T. Colosse is described as the familiar most widely believed in and most commonly adduced as the means of witchcraft. T. Colosse is a small hairy being having the form of a man, but so small that he only reaches to a man's knee. He has hair all over his face and coming out of his ears, and his face is squashed up like a little baboon. The penis of the male is so long that he carries it over his shoulder, and he has only one buttock. Now, the coverage of Tokolosh sightings runs a spectrum deeply marked by the color of the paper in question's editors. While stories of demon possession, and even court cases concerning such supernatural claims, when framed within Christian spiritual frameworks, i.e. the devil, possession, exorcism by a Christian priest, were reported or tried without much critique, similar claims framed within the spiritual beliefs of the native Zosa or Zulu were dismissed as primitive superstition, even though they may have been just as realistic-seeming. Uh, either reported in an incredulous tone or not at all. And while post-apartheid journalists have tried to develop a reporting style that covers local beliefs uh, and descriptions of incidents without dismissing the subjective perspective of local spiritual beliefs, it is difficult to balance objective reporting with subjective belief in a way that does not fuel superstition or panic, or, the other extreme, outright dismiss one culture over another. On the tabloid side, the black-owned working-class paper, The Daily Sun, uh, which reports with a bit of the Weekly World News tongue-in-cheek style, uh, think of Bat Boy, you know, has covered the Tokolosh constantly. Uh, the more salacious, the better. Cover stories include headlines like Crazy Tokolosh from Hell, The Tokolosh Made Me a Sex Slave, and Tokolosh Splits Couple. All capitalize on the dark humor of this sexually promiscuous undead troll, but behind the mostly joke headline lies an uncomfortable reality. Real-life sexual assault attributed to a mythical creature. It is quite possible that women who claim to have been raped by the Tokolosh fear retaliation by their actual human attacker and yet need to get it off their chest in relation to processing that trauma. Uh, enter the Tokolosh, the perfect scapegoat. Sadly, for a woman of color, even in post-apartheid South Africa, being taken seriously may be just as likely either way. This connection between sexual trauma um, and the terror of the occult is explored in the rather successful Jerome Piquane's recent horror film, The Tokolosh. Busi, a night shift hospital employee, contends with a sexual predator boss, dismissive and racist white co-workers, and a neglected child patient who is haunted by the Tokolosh. Pequane uh, brings the child home to protect her from the neglectful hospital, uh, only to bring the Tokolosh with her. In the film, Pequane balances the horror uh, of the Tokolosh with difficult topics of race and rape uh, in a post-colonial South Africa on the mend. Now, while the Tokolosh may not have much representation in the pop culture of the U.S., it has made its way around the U.K. and has very strong representation in its home of South Africa. The Cape Town hip-hop group Die Antwoord even feature a Tokolosh in the video for their song Evil Boy. 
steeped as they are in the unique subculture crossroads of Afrikaan and English called Zef, blending discarded cultural elements and embracing aesthetics of poverty and elements of indigenous witchcraft. Um, the singer John Kongos of South Africa recorded the song Tokolosh Man, in 1971, which was later covered by Happy Mondays, the British pop rock group. And returning to the newspapers, the popular South African daily comic strip, Madam and Eve, regularly featured the Tokolosh as a running joke. As we know from previous episodes, monsters are often projections of the darkest impulses that uh, human beings have being put out into the world uh, of folklore and cultural tradition. But sometimes they come full circle and the monster is projected back onto real-life horrors. The monsters become the mask for the real monsters, humanity itself. The Tokolos has so much complicated real-life monstrosity rolled up to, into its mostly diminutive body. Like the Wendigo, the zombie, or even vampires, the Tokolosh's physical form is rooted in the human body albeit one corrupted by insatiable lust and hunger. Uh, a folkloric curse amplified by the social tensions of South Africa into a mythic manifestation of the insatiable greed and resulting trauma of colonial expansion. Our theme music today is by the incredible Dan Gross of Waffles and Mochi fame and also Drunk History. Uh, Synthy sound effects and ambiance by yours truly and promotional artwork by the magnificently monstrous Danger Dan Dubois. It really helps if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Go ahead and rate the show. That's always greatly appreciated, but leaving a review is the stuff of true legends. You can also check us out at Monsters in My Podcast on Instagram if you're feeling generous. Check out our Patreon, which is a little like uh, an abandoned... Uh, haunted house at this point. It needs a lot of work, but I will be uh, attending to that soon. So check that out uh, in the next few episodes. And um, while supporting the show can get you exclusive content, uh, including bonus episodes and monstrous merch featuring Danger Dan's awesome artwork, we just appreciate you for listening. So thank you. And you hear her wailing at night by the banks of the river. Why does she cry so? She cries for her drowned children. And just how did her children drown? We encounter the Wailing Woman of Mexico, La Laronia, next time on Monsters in My Podcast. Monsters in My Podcast.